we should be as well. And then uh, I believe this morning, uh, if you want it, if you desire, you can and will be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, we're going to spend some time allowing for that to happen and making space for that. And so I uh, just want to say as far as uh, some things happening, I think, in our culture, in our nation right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Barna Group, but they, um, they do a lot of uh, polling and, and statistics with regards to church and Christianity, especially in, in, in the United States of America. And interestingly enough, they've re just released some statistics to show that we are at a, like, all-time, as far as our lifetime, high of spiritual hunger. So three questions that have recently been asked from Gen Zers, Millennials, Gen Xers, and Baby Boomers. If you don't know those categories, no problem. It's just four generations. Asking the question, number one, do you believe that there is a God? Are, do you believe in the spirit realm and, and, and the supernatural? And are you interested in developing and growing in those things? And overwhelmingly, um, across all generations, the answer is yes. Usually around 70, sometimes even in the low 80% of all those polled, not just Christians, just broad survey of the populace. We are in a, in a time of greater increased spiritual hunger. I believe that this COVID uh, kind of catastrophe that happened across the globe, something that has never happened in not just our generation, in any generation, I think all of these things are working together to produce a hunger for God, the thing that all of us need. Now, um, interestingly enough, just to toss it out there, it's Gen Xers and Millennials that are actually highest in interest of developing spiritual, spiritually. So I think that the church needs to uh, rise up with a degree of, um, of confidence that we have been given something that the world is actually looking for. And even when we see what looks like the pride and disinterest on people's faces, don't be misled by that. People, in their, when they answer questions in secret on a poll, they are interested. Secondly, I just want to point out that uh, you may have heard of it. Uh, Asbury University in Kentucky, they had their normal Wednesday 10 a.m. chapel this week. And My wife wants me to speak into the microphone. <laughs> they had their normal 10 a.m. chapel this week, and uh, there was kind of like a normal just kind of message and calling people to repentance, calling people to make way for what God wants and, and, uh, and more of him, and, and it kind of ended with, uh, with people responding to that, coming forward, praying, just kind of pouring out their hearts before God, and what normally ends at around 11 just kind of continued, and it went on to, to 12 o'clock, and then... 12 o'clock became 1 o'clock, and 1 o'clock became 2 o'clock. And before long, that chapel service had gone on the entirety of Wednesday. And then that turned into never stopping all the way through Wednesday night, on into Thursday morning. People leaving, coming back when they can, in between classes, coming in, coming back. Thursday went all the way through. Friday went all the way through. As far as we know, right now, that is still happening on this campus that once had had a massive revival in 1970, that even the mention of this as the word spread began to spread revival into other places and specifically campuses around the United States. That's happening right now. Uh, this morning I, I awoke to seeing Paul Collinson, a friend of mine who pastors a church in Sydney, uh, in Warrnambool, Australia. And um, 
and he just posted a picture of a empty kind of moon boot. You know, when you have a, an injury on your ankle or your foot, a lady came to church this, well, what is to them this morning, they're now in tomorrow <laughs> for us, they're 16 hours ahead of us, um, and uh, came to church. She actually came forward, just like Bob did a few minutes ago, to just kind of give something, a word on her heart, but she was hobbling up just completely in pain. She had a torn calf ligament, and after the word, some of the elders felt that we needed to pray for her, and uh, she felt a heat on the back of her leg and was completely healed, took the moon boot off, and, uh, and walked home, or walked, you know, back, back to whatever, her car or whatever, and so posted about that. Guys, uh, this is not that there's something special about right now. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He went about, according to the book of Acts, healing all who were afflicted with disease and sickness. He afflicted of the devil, or how does it go? Afflicted, just, just roll with it. He was healing people all the time. Um, afflict, uh, healing all. And uh, that has not changed. His supernatural nature has not changed. And his desire today, because he has ascended into heaven, is that he still performs his ministry, but now it's not through his earthly body. Well, it is through his earthly body, the body of Christ. And we must be filled with the Spirit in order for us to be able to do any of the supernatural works of Jesus. And this is not like charismatic Pentecostal Christianity. It's biblical Christianity. I'm not interested in, in some particular sect or what have you. And so I just want to share my experience, and then we'll get into those accounts, and we'll look at some things in particular and, and, and kind of move from there. So just quickly, my particular story. Um, some of you know how I became a born-again Christian as a senior in high school. I didn't know any other Christians for an entire year, not ones that actually had had the same experience I had until I went to college the next year, and I was invited to join a campus ministry, and uh, there were some major changes in my life, things that I got free from and repented of, and God was doing a big thing in my life, and by the spring of 1997, just to date myself, I, I belong in that Gen X category if you're wondering, uh, in spring of 97, so the spring of my freshman year, uh, Don Williams, who was the campus pastor, had a, at the end of one of our campus ministry meetings, had a call for prayer at the end, to come up and to receive prayer if you wanted kind of more of God, just to f- separate yourself to more of God, that kind of a thing. And I absolutely responded. And so I came up, and, and when I was in this prayer line, Don came to me amongst many other students that wanted prayer, and he looked at me and said, do you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And in myself, I thought, I'd never have heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Didn't say that to him, but I didn't know. But baptism, Holy Spirit, sounded like something I would probably want. So I said yes. And he began to explain to me when, he said, when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, somebody prayed for me. This is Don sharing this with me. He said, it almost felt like a bubble. Like, as they begin to pray, almost felt like a bubble wanting to come up and just come out and express sounds through my mouth. And I just had to release it, just allow it to come out. It's tongues, which I had heard of and had been actually quite interested in and wondering why there's so many references to tongues in the New Testament, and yet I never, ever, ever see or hear of it in church. And here he is telling me about it. 
And, um, and he says, just, just release it. As you begin to feel that, don't, don't try to think about it. Don't try to mentally rationalize. Just allow it. Just allow the Holy Spirit to use your body. And so as he began to pray, he, um, he began to get very into it, let's just say. Uh, the volume level increased. And his facial expression, he was praying. To this day, he says it was probably the most anointed moment that he feels ever while ministering to somebody. Me, on the other hand, I felt just kind of the familiar, soft, easy presence of the Lord. There was nothing overwhelming, nothing amazing. It was not that dramatic of a moment. It's amazing. The moment that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit was not that dramatic of a moment for me. What was dramatic? I, dramatic doesn't even say, say it. What was absolutely life-changing, transformational was the effect that that moment had as I went from that moment down to today practicing the, the praying in tongues. It has revolutionized my life because, as the scripture says, we don't know how we should pray, Romans chapter 8, because of the weakness of our flesh, but the Holy Spirit prays through us, makes intercession through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. How many of you ever feel like you don't know what to pray? Am I in good company? Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Oftentimes, I would say I probably don't have a time with God where tongues doesn't come into that equation where I just spend time praying in tongues. Why? It is the Holy Spirit praying through you the perfect will of God. Speaking mysteries. It is the, a key way that God has given for any believer to connect at a deep spirit-to-spirit connection where your body is becoming a literal vessel of the Holy Spirit to pray out his language, his words, the perfect prayers of God, and meanwhile your spirit is connecting with it. And as you pray, I find, as you pray minute, several minutes in, you start to connect with the divine flow. You start to get insight into things. You start to see things that you didn't understand before. You get little subtle nudges and things, and you just start to know things in your knower, as Chris often says. You just start to kind of have perceptions of things, and, and, or, or you just begin to sense his peace where you had not felt his peace. You begin to connect in worship, and you begin to sense the reality of the Lord, and head knowledge goes from head knowledge to experience. Something you're seeing and sensing and feeling in the moment. Do I, do you, you know that's important to the Lord? That this thing not just be about head knowledge? Jesus came to give us more than just head knowledge and, and mental assent to doctrines about him. He wants us to know him and to experience him every bit as much as my wife and I don't just like know stuff about each other. We want to know each other and experience and being in one another's presence and enjoy one another. Are you following? The Lord wants us to have that. So... That's my story, and I'm not going to take it back. So let's look at the three examples of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture, all in the book of Acts. And uh, if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Um, actually, while you're turning to Acts chapter 1, <laughs> let's rather start there. I'm just going to read another passage of Scripture and say this, that Jesus is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one. Um, John the Baptist, who you um, probably heard of, he, he kind of prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus' cousin said this in Matthew 3.11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, Jesus, will baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit and fire. That is a promise given by the Holy Spirit through John the Baptist, that he is going to do this. So the question is, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What happens when the, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens and occurs? What is it? Well, I, I would say to answer those questions, we should look into Scripture. So if, for example, you're thinking, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is probably something that happened while Jesus' ministry was happening. What we're going to find out is this baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually something reserved for the period after Jesus ended his ministry and ascended back to the Father, seated down at the right hand of God, and birthed the church on the earth. This thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only for the now. And so Acts chapter 1, we see this. Jesus, having died, resurrected, came back, hanging out with his disciples. He's just about to go back to heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says these words. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but you shall be, hasn't happened yet, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I bet you're wondering then, what happens? What does this look like? What is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go on to the very next chapter. Starting in verse 1, famously, the day of Pentecost. Now, let me give a little background. They were in an upper room. These were the kind of remaining disciples after Jesus went. They, about 120 of them in an upper room. We know that they were praying. And uh, there is a thing that theologians call, or people who study hermeneutics, it's, it's kind of like strategies on how to study and, and understand the scripture. Some would go by this idea of what we call the law of first mention, which is basically to say this. Anytime a particular subject in scripture is referenced in scripture, the first time, the first mention of it, gives a cornerstone understanding of every subsequent mention of that subject in scripture. This isn't the first mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's the first account of seeing it. And I believe that we can take some cornerstone understandings from what we're about to read of what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Are you ready? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. I want you to, let's take note of that word, sound. This is a physical sense, the sense of hearing. Whatever was happening here had an impact on the physical realm. Sound waves were produced in our natural environment. The sound of heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. So we have a particular sound and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and then there appeared. I don't know if they felt the wind, but we have sound, and then there's an appearing. That means they saw. There is a, an effect on the, the sense of, of uh, hearing, and now there's an effect on the sense of sight happening. They appeared to them, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat. Now we have physical touch. The sense of touch sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why am I emphasizing all of these things? Right from the get-go, we see in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the idea is this, that something that is coming from the realm of the Spirit 
the spirit realm is coming in and ha- finds its entry into our natural world and has a, a, a notable impact on the natural world. Are we making sense? That right there is a huge part of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Something that is from the spirit realm coming in and finding an impact on the natural uh, world. And what we're going to see in just a minute is specifically that impact is for filling believers so that they then become witnesses to others. My friends, in such simple terms, that is what we as the church are. We're his witnesses. Now you understand, I hope we understand, the importance that believers not just get filled with the Holy Spirit, as in a once-off for me, spring of 1997, but as uh, the Paul says in the book of Ephesians, be being filled with the Holy Spirit every day, every moment of every day, so we can walk in tune with the spiritual, supernatural realm. Am I talking over our heads? I want to encourage you. You were made for this. Not only like it's available for, it, for you, your destiny lo- includes this. In some way, it, is, it hinges upon this in some way. And so let's, let's move on. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I just want to quickly point out very simply that all three occasions that the New Testament gives of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every single one is accompanied with this particular gift, the, the speaking in tongues. That's significant, every single one. So let's go on to verse 5. And then there, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Why? Because everyone heard. Take note of that. Everyone heard. What's the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That, the, that which is of God in the realm of the Spirit fills believers so that other people encounter something of God. That you become the vessel through which God, manif- Jesus in particular, manifests himself through the Holy Spirit. Everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language in which we were born? And then verse 9 and verse 10 list all these places, all these different cultures and nationalities of these people that were gathered together around that upper room in Jerusalem that morning. Verse, uh, let's skip down to verse 11. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so a couple things that we want to pull out of this. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for ministering to others. When you get born again through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. Some people, uh, some of us can get confused because I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I got born again. You did. I did. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. But the idea of baptism, baptism is coming upon you. The Spirit, Jesus says, or through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So the Spirit coming and dwelling in you through the new birth, through salvation, is for the work of sanctification, making you holy, doing a work in you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to work 
through you to minister to others. Do you see the difference? This is what happens at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It comes upon the church, arguably, these same disciples who in John chapter 20, it says that Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That was in John 20. That was several weeks before this. We can maybe infer that they were already born again in this moment. But in this moment on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them for works of ministry. Spiritual empowerment, being endued with power from on high. So that's the first thing. Second thing we want to derive from this is how did they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In this particular case, it was from prayer. That's all we know that was going on when the day of Pentecost came. They were in the upper room. They were praying. What were they praying? The Bible doesn't record. But I think we have some good context clues to what they were praying. What was Jesus saying to them right before he sent them to that upper room and told them not to leave until they get filled with the Spirit? He told them, you're going to get filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He also said, wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He, he, he said that you will be uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then a few verses later in Acts 180, he says, and you shall be my, uh, you, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. The context of their prayer surely was, Lord, and I want you to hear this. I'm sure they were praying, Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit. We want, we want to be used by you. Just like we've watched you operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, we want, we are asking for your Holy Spirit. I'm sure that there was probably a, an emptying out of their selves and all of this, the unbelief and repenting and turning from all the obstructions that would keep the Holy Spirit, our pride, our fears, all the stuff that would keep the Holy Spirit from having a pure channel to flow through us. They were probably doing that in that upper room. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were in one accord, in one place, I believe not just one accord with each other, but one accord with heaven. And that's where the Holy Spirit is poured out. And I want to say this morning, we can pray prayers just like that. We can empty ourselves out to make space to be filled. We can make room for you, as we sang just a few minutes ago, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not an app, optional extra add-on for Christianity. This is how we do the things that Jesus has called us to that only he can do through us. And so let's go on to the second account in uh, Acts chapter 10. A little background on this story, and then we'll look at the third account, and then I just want to make a couple comments on tongues and prophecy, and, we'll, and then we'll pray together. Uh, Acts chapter 10, there is an interesting occasion where Peter the Apostle is going to a man's house named Cornelius. Interesting, because Cornelius is not a Jew, and up to this point, the only Christians that existed were all Jews. And for the first time ever, a Jew, Jewish Christian, is crossing that holy threshold of doing something that was looked at as unclean is to go inside the house of a Gentile. But the Holy Spirit had, had instructed Peter to do this, and he was in Cornelius' house. And while there, he shares the gospel with them according to what God told him to do. And here we find in Chapter 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that means the Jews, who believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out 
on the Gentiles also. For they heard them, how did they know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them? They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So a couple points quickly. Firstly, you'll notice, once again, in the second occasion, we have tongues as an accompanying sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's significant. Again, tongues, there's a reason for that. I'll explain that in a minute. Secondly, I just want to point this out. They magnify, they spoke in tongues and they heard them magnify God. I want to just share from my own experience, when you, and I kind of already did, when you pray in tongues, there is a, you can pray in tongues and just be thinking about tonight's Super Bowl game. And I probably shouldn't have said that because now you're probably thinking about tonight's Super Bowl game. <laughs> but the point being is that you can pray in tongues and completely shut your mind out. And it may not benefit you as much. But when you pray in tongues and focus in on the Lord and focus in on his presence and and as you're praying in tongues, it's not just even going through the motions, it's yielding your body. That's the whole idea. You're yielding your body to allow the Holy Spirit to use you to pray through you. There is a spiritual connection, as I said earlier, that what it's like you tap into a connection in the spirit realm is the best way I know how to say it. It's, it's the, another way of maybe saying it is like, I can know here that God loves me. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I can know that. Praying in tongues, I feel his presence and feel his love. You, you know what I'm saying? And so when it says here that they were magnifying God, that's not insignificant. There is something that happens in a connection with God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you begin to connect with him and when you see him for who he is the natural response is to magnify him it's not like we're doing it to be good christians because we we should magnify god you know blessed be his holy name it's you're seeing him and your response is holy 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 for the lord god almighty the uh holy 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 is the lord god almighty that's your response it's, it, it just comes, it, and that's, that is what Jesus and the Father long for when Jesus says the Father looks for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's, that's another thing. third thing that we want to point out before we go on to the next account. How did they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit in this particular account? They received it here simply by hearing the word of God in faith. These Gentiles heard the word of God from Peter. I imagine Peter probably testified of what had happened to them on the day of Pentecost. And it was in the hearing of it that these Gentiles just started speaking in tongues and magnifying God. What I'm saying, even as you sit in your seat, as you're hearing the word of God, you can be filled with the Spirit just by hearing with faith. That is a very real possibility. So you can receive it by praying and asking for it. You can receive it by the faith stirring in your heart as you hear the word of God preached. And then let's go on to the third occasion, Acts chapter 19. As you're turning to Acts 19, I'll just give you background there. Paul the apostle is, is doing his thing. He's, he's doing his apostolic work and he goes through the, town, the city of Ephesus. And while he's there, 
it says that he runs in to some Christians that he did not know. And if you'll pick up with me in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper areas, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Just pay attention to that word there, some disciples. What does that mean about these people? They're already believers. The Bible would not tell, uh, call them disciples if they hadn't already made a decision to follow Jesus. We know, that's all we know about these guys right now, is that they're, dis, they're, they're believers. Uh, biblically speaking, we can assume that they're already born again. They already have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They just don't know it. <laughs> and it says, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They had never been taught anything of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked him some questions. If you jump over to verse 4 with me, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now they're water baptized. Immediately they take care of that. They get water baptized, affirm and profess their faith in Jesus. That's awesome. But listen to this, verse 5. And when they, uh, when they, Heard this, they were baptized, and went, oh, sorry, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They got water baptized, and immediately thereafter, through the laying on of hands, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, just a couple quick points that we want to make. One, as you can already kind of tell, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is separate from the new birth. You can be born again. But it's a separate occasion. As we can see with these disciples, they were called disciples at the beginning of this little passage of Scripture. And it was later, after being made disciples through faith in Jesus, that they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it's separate from the new birth. Second point, in this particular account, how did they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The first account, they received it through praying. The second account, they received it through hearing the word of God preached and they heard it with, received it with faith. The third account was the laying on of hands. And there you have the three medium, the three ways in which believers can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can just ask for it. You can simply hear about it through the word of God and, and faith just rises in you and you find yourself baptized and you can have hands laid upon you. Um, I'll go ahead and share my mother-in-law's story. What's that? I'll just, I'll just toss it out there. So I had my experience, the way I described it. It wasn't that dramatic of an experience. I'll tell you about hers. As a young girl, young Southern Baptist, by the way. Southern Baptist, most of whom not only don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, will actually tell you tongues are of the devil. So here she is down in, I don't know, Georgia probably, Tennessee, something like that hungering for more of the Holy Spirit, just asking, never having heard of any of this stuff that I'm talking to you right now. And as she's praying, she literally sees fire and, and, and feels the presence of the Lord and begins to receive a prayer language that she didn't even know what that was. She just started doing it. So uh, what I'm saying, uh, this thing is real. No one taught her. She didn't grow up in a church that taught her this, but it's, it's the eternal gift that Jesus has given for, to his church. Jesus is the one that baptized with, with the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at this. Uh, it, you can, we can receive it with the laying on of hands. 
And I would just want to say, guys, we want all BCCers uh, to, I mean, I already said it wrong. I'm not saying we want you all to pray in tongues and prophesy. How do I say it with the way, the right heart? It is our heart for everybody, for you to experience what it is that we're talking about, for, for you to move in this and, 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 and to have this and to have the benefit of it. I just want to make a couple points about tongues and prophecy, and then we're going to pray this morning. Um, tongues. Why do tongues show up each time? If you've read 1 Corinthians 12, you would see that Paul lists nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that accompany or come through, result from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are nine gifts, one of which is tongues. Why is tongues the only one that shows up every single time? I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit here, but uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my experience and what I firmly believe is um, it is a, almost like an entryway for you to learn the practice that is necessary. In the act of speaking or praying in tongues, you learn to practice that which is essential to flow in any of the other gifts. So how do you flow in the gifts of the Spirit? You receive from the Spirit, and you don't let your intellect and your brain and your mental faculties get in the way. So when you're praying in tongues, and they've actually done those studies of the brain, as believers are praying in tongues, that the, the, the area of your brain, some of you smart people out there know the area of the brain that's used for s the center of speech. I don't, that area of the brain is not engaged in the practice of tongues. Why? Because that's not what you're doing. You're not speaking a language that you even know. You're, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you. And uh, I'm going to nerd out on you a little bit. When I was like 12 to 15 years old, I was seriously into golf, you know, which is, you know, obviously what all the cool kids do. I was into golf. And, uh, and golf, if you don't know this, is addicting. I mean, once you start getting kind of good, you're hooked. And uh, with golf, this swing, which I've completely lost through the years, uh, the swing is, is not natural. Very few people pick up a golf club and naturally grip it the right way and swing it the right way. So you have to get a golf trainer, a golf pro, to give you lessons, and it's very unnatural, and they'll tell you what you're doing wrong, and you do a bunch of things over and over on a driving range, over and over and over and over, grooving your swing, and they'll correct it, and you, and you correct it, and you keep on swinging until, until finally the right way to swing a golf club becomes muscle memory. It becomes natural to you, and you start really getting good. Tongues is that. I'm telling you. you. It's like you're grooving your swing by praying in tongues in your private relationship with God. For me, it's in our guest room. I pray for lengthy periods of time in tongues. You're just giving your body over to the Holy Spirit and what you're doing is you're practicing to make your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. Which is how you can more easily be used by God to prophesy. Or to sense that God wants to heal somebody. And to, to not go on any natural knowledge. To go in the unction of the Holy Spirit. To go lay hands upon somebody and, and have a, 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 perhaps a, see them healed. Or 
to have a, what we call the word of wisdom. Not, I, not we call it, this, what Paul the apostle calls word of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, discerning of spirits, miracles, faith, healings, discern, uh, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. All these nine gifts that are in 1 Corinthians 12, tongues grooves your swing. Is that making sense? Why is tongues given every single time? Because God gives that to you as kind of a starting point to learn how to flow in his Holy Spirit. Prophecy is the other one that shows up, as you just saw. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Why prophecy? Because prophecy is the first of those nine gifts that is most readily available to you. Something that you can flow in easily. Why do we, where do we get that? Look with me, uh, if you can flip there quickly, uh, to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. In fact, if you're, if you're not there and you don't know, just for time's sake, let's just say it. Paul says, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now, uh, let, me, let, me, let me explain why that's significant or why, to differentiate it. A word of knowledge is when the Holy Spirit gives you something that there's no way you could have naturally known about a person. I mean their birth date. I mean their street address. I mean some kind of information that when you say it to the person, they know God knows my name. God knows me. I've received these kinds of words. In fact, I've, I've received them to me, and I've actually had a few occasions where I've been crazy enough to receive them for another person and actually gotten it right. <laughs> it's, it has, nothing, has absolutely nothing to do with your skill. It has everything to do with your obedience and your openness to receive. Word of knowledge, most people don't start off on day one giving words of knowledge. Edification, exhortation, and comfort, much more entry level. Are you following? I may not uh, have a word of knowledge for Bob to say something that I had no natural way of knowing but by the Holy Spirit, but I, can, I have faith more easily to get to trust God to give me something that's going to bring comfort. Or edification, which simply means to build them up or to exhort, which is kind of, I think, what Bob actually gave to us this morning. Well, well done, Bob. Thank you for, for stepping out. And so prophecy is entry level for everybody. Now listen to this. Prophecy is the only gift in the New Testament that we are specifically all encouraged to operate in. If you don't believe me, look at 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Everybody. And in fact, if you go down to what, verse 26 of that same chapter, I think it is, Paul says that you may all prophesy one by one. You may all prophesy. Are, I, I, you know, as I say that, I hope that some, a penny is dropping in your mind to realize that this thing is not for the ordained elders and pastors of the church. You may all prophesy. Yeah, but I need to get more spiritually mature. No, you don't. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can prophesy. I can have a word that encourages somebody. Uh, I was at a um, prophetic training conference that I was receiving from, and I also got to participate in doing, Minda and I, in doing some of the, like, teaching and uh, man, Jill Patterson, this lady who is a, a, a prophet to the body of Christ, as in not just gives prophecies, but that's a whole other story. She's a, what's that? 
a fivefold gift of a prophet. And so she's very skilled with all this, and she did some training on words of knowledge. And, um, and so we did a breakout session where we allowed some people to start to exercise it and to be stretched. And you had to find somebody in the room, it's probably about 120 of us, and find somebody that you absolutely do not know. Go to them and just pray with them and share what you're feeling. And so as I, so can I just share the story so that you can see some of the mechanics of how to operate in the prophetic? Because I want to demystify it. So, uh, so I, I go to this girl, this young lady, and I'm standing there and I'm praying with her. And, uh, and so, Lord, I just want in to, inside of myself, I'm like, Lord, just give me something, show me something. And um, what I begin to see in my mind's eye, are you ready for it? Is a kind of like the, the best way I would know to describe it is like the California redwood forests. You know how they're like, quite, uh, they're quite like um, uh, uh, lush and, and what, humid, is that, that's the word I'm looking for, like lots of, is that right? <laughs> Flourishing, but, the, but, but like wet, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I see a picture of a felled tree, a tree that's like fallen over and it's dead. That's my word. So by the way, the prophetic can be kind of awkward. That's all I have, a felled tree dead in the forest. And, uh, and so, but then I remembered that in the Old Testament prophets, God would ask the prophet, Jeremiah or Haggai, what do you see? And so, uh, and so I, I, I felt the Lord say, what do you see? And so I'm like, Lord, I see, um, I see this felled tree. Yeah, but what do you see about it? Oh. Yeah, well, I come to think of it, there's moss that's growing on it. You know, come to think of it, I, I, there's another plant growing out of it. And, and then I said, Lord, what does that mean? And instantly I knew something had died in her life and that the, out of the very thing that had died, that was becoming the soil from which new life was beginning to grow. And I began to just share this with her and... Uh, and Kind of, you know, I, when I prophesy, I do it with my eyes closed because I can't stand looking at the people. I just, uh, you know, I'm not there yet. And, uh, and I have my eyes closed. And when I open up, she is like tears streaming down. And she, you know, and she began to explain like what had happened. And I won't go into all the details. But just to say the Holy Spirit, if you just ask and, and just make yourself available, the Holy Spirit knows. That brought her comfort. That brought her edification. That brought her... Uh, I don't know, maybe exhortation. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is just to partner with the Holy Spirit. But before any of that, uh, the first thing is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need, and it just begins simply with believing and asking. And so I wonder maybe if, if we could just close our eyes right now. <clears throat> 